about the uh, sermon, that sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Let us look at some basics of the scripture this week, and uh, next week we'll talk about uh, being poor in spirit. First, as presented, the Sermon on the Mount is not a single teaching, but a compendium of his sermons and lifestyle teaching events that were spread over many sessions. The audience is probably two concentric circles. The inner circle is composed of current disciplines, disciples who would probably have included more than the final 12. Chronologically, in Scripture at this point, Jesus has only selected Simon, Andrew, James, and John. The outer circle would have been the crowds. Today, these passages are for believers, as they would make no sense for a non-believer. But it's likely some exceptionally moral-oriented people might adopt the list as a moral code. The crowds were listening, and Jesus wanted them to hear, even though the sermon is addressed to professing disciples. It is the things our Lord has to say to anyone that can awaken desire in others to come to Christ. Matthew 7:28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. While only chapters 5, 6, and 7 are considered the Sermon of the Mount, Chapters 8 and 9 are really companion chapters. Chapters 8 and 9 are a collection of stories mainly about the healing ministry. So the, this five-chapter unit gives us some typical teaching of the Lord concerning the way of the kingdom and then some typical healings and miracles to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. One really can't have Jesus of the Sermon on the Mount without the Jesus who cleansed the leper, healed the centurion's servant, and stilled the storm. The Lord who teaches the Sermon on the Mount is the same Lord who calls us to follow Him through life and depend upon His power. Beatitudes announce blessedness. Blessed and fortunate are those who have the kingdom power at work within them, for they will inherit the kingdom. Here in these scriptures, Jesus is telling listeners and future readers how to achieve a deep spiritual happiness and maintain that joy no matter how difficult the circumstances. Jesus focused on the present state of persons who adopt values and attitudes which permit them to know now the touch of God in their present lives. Not a statement, but an exclamation. His disciples hear his words as congratulations. And here the Beatitudes is words of celebration about the work of God in their lives. But what about the crowds standing behind the disciples? How should they hear them? If they are not poor in spirit, if they are not mourning or meek or hungry for righteousness, or merciful or pure or peaceable, what do these words mean for them? You can't congratulate a guest on his wedding garment if he doesn't have it on. That's Matthew 22, 11 through 14. First, a brief overview. Chapter 5, in chapter 5, right relationships with our fellow man. It's agape love and neighbor and our enemies, not feelings, right relationships. In chapter 6, there's a shift to piety, a relationship with God, a matter of trust. And then by the end of chapter 7, it is the right relationship with Christ himself, relationships with Jesus 
is a matter of process. Let's look at the structure. There are eight Beatitudes worded in the same way. Verse 11 is really an, an expansion of verse 10 and is worded differently. None of the others say, Blessed are you. It is probably an expansion of verse 10 which says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There is a pronoun shift that seems to be in real time. Sandwiching six promises between two assurances. Jesus may mean to tell us that these six things you can count on when you are a part of God's kingdom. They all belong to the kingdom, like the fruit of the Spirit. It's a package. It is what they all uh, you will look like when construction is complete. It is Jesus' way of saying the kingdom of heaven is present with the disciples now, but that the full blessings of the kingdom will have to wait until the age to come. Within the structure is nested another structure. Verse 3 is attitude to ourselves. Verses 4 and 6 is attitude to our sins. See your sins the way God does. Verses 7 and 9 is attitude to the Lord. Seek to help keep hearts pure. Verses 10 through 16 is the attitude to the world. Our society increasingly unfriendly to God's people. If we are God's, we will be in conflict with the world. Describing the transformed life, end product, what we will do when we begin to live out our life in Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a member of the kingdom. Demonstration, description, discipleship, so you can duplicate it. The way Jesus did it. Preaching, teaching, deliverance. It is the law of which Jeremiah spoke. Jeremiah 31. In them, a second nature upon their hearts. The essence of the law is knowing Jesus. It is his own character lived out in us to the extent that we allow it. And have a very blessed day.